This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Nonprofits in crisis? Well, today we're talking about the challenges of making ends meet for thousands of groups who help our community thrive. So how are our caregivers doing? Well, we're at a tipping point, many of those agencies say. Joining us by phone is Karen Tan, the president and CEO of Child and Family Service. For over a century, CFS has provided services to strengthen families and foster healthy child development in Hawaii. Tan oversees a $32 million budget and staff of nearly 400 who affect the lives of more than 75,000 lives annually. Aloha, Karen. Aloha. Nice to be here, Catherine. Yes, I'm so glad uh, that we could uh, talk about this uh, subject. And, you know, and, uh, here with us in studio are Ryan Kusumoto, President and CEO of Parents and Children Together, known uh, by many as PACT. It's a statewide community-based social service nonprofit dealing with everything from domestic violence, child abuse, and sex trafficking. PACT has been around for more than 50 years, has over 400 employees, and has a budget of about $13 million annually. Welcome, Ryan. Aloha, Catherine. And joining our roundtable talk is Lori Tochiki. She's the executive director of Epic Ohana, a nonprofit serving families, children, and youth in the welfare system. Epic stands for Effective Planning and Innovation Communication. It was founded in 1998 and receives about $5 million in contributions and grants annually. Well, thank you for being here, Lori. Thank you. Yeah, and you know, I'd like to start out, Karen, because I just happened to um, sit next to you at an event and you, 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 you got my ear because I was very concerned about um, the fact that you said that you know the nonprofits got together and you were you were not in a good spot yes recently probably over the last year we've come together with over 50 leaders of nonprofit community-based organizations in our state and the concern is is that with inflation and with stagnant contract revenues we're really at a tipping point how do we cover our costs how do we pay our staff what they're really worth so they're not working more than one job? And how do we make sure, more importantly, that the community is cared for, especially during increased mental health needs and other other needs that are growing in our community at this time? Yes, and, you know, we are just, you know, listening to the headlines in the news today, and, and you are, you know, very, or I am very distressed when I hear, you know, cases that, uh, you know, of crime that we just, you know, aren't used to hearing you know i mean uh, who in their right mind would uh you know target a, a mother with a, a a baby in a stroller uh you know with a car i mean these people are i think asking for help and your agencies help to provide them uh, you know get them through programs right i mean ryan you, you know talk about your experience yeah and you know as karen mentions like you know our sort of our our task has always been to be there for the community uh, when they need us uh, to provide those resources as they are, or the, you know, to address the needs as they arise. And you know, Karen highlights the fact that you know, for us to do that work, we don't put a product on the shelf. We what we do is we we walk alongside of individuals, and the way we do that is with with people. They're our number one resources. So the staff that we hire, the experiences they bring to the table, is what helps us to get through those situations and work with with individuals to help them get to the place that they need to. Uh, you know the issue right now in front of us is that we've we've seen you know astronomical or exponential increases in, in inflation that um, have impacted our costs to be able to um, stay competitive and, and bring those people on. You know our staff are making some tough choices. You know they have their own needs to to meet um, to cover their own costs and 
if we can't afford to pay them the the wages, the living wages that um, they need to do this work, you know, they're going to go elsewhere. I mean, they're going to find other places to to find work. You know, whether it be, um, you know, Target or another sector. Um, but you know, they have their needs to, to to meet. And so for us, like we know how critical this work is. We need people to do it. And um, over the years, we've we've seen um, the, the the cost rise, but the cost of our, our contracts or the, the reimbursement for our contracts haven't risen at the same levels. And so, you know, I think for us right now, we're really concerned, not just for our organizations, but really for the community. You, you address some issues that you see, some symptoms in the community, like crime, homelessness, and, and mental health issues. Like, the, if we continue to sort of not prioritize these issues, we're going to see more of those issues arise coming down the road. Yeah, and you know, when it comes to uh, keeping the lights on, you know, you've got to make some hard choices. Okay, I can't buy that kind of food because I've got to pay my power bill, you know, and, and, and those kinds of decisions, you know, childcare. I don't know, Lori, you know, talk about what it looks like from where you sit. Sure. You know, in, in our organization, we're working primarily in child welfare, which is where during the pandemic, all of these strains on our community, domestic violence, substance use disorder, mental health issues, really came to a, a forefront. And um, our, for our people, it is about relationships. People don't choose to work in a community-based organization um, because they think they're, they're going to have a, 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 a huge salary. They, they know that they're making that choice. But at the same time, some of our employees have trouble finding and paying for childcare. Um, the cost of living and housing. Uh, some of our employees are, are also housing insecure and food insecure. So it's, it's a strain on all of us, but their hearts are there. And, and You have and big hearts. Big <laughs> hearts. Big hearts, amazing people. And Karen, you know, uh, when you talked about how the nonprofits got together just to see how everybody was doing, um, you came together under... Uh, an umbrella theme, I guess. Well, and, and I understand it's called the, the True Cost Coalition is what you folks decided to call it. Um, explain to our listeners, you know, how this came about. Right. So the True Cost Coalition, I think, was a simple way to really talk about we're not, um, because we're nonprofit, we're not in the community to make profit. We're in the community to serve community, but we, we need to cover our true costs. And so if you think about, you know, historically in the 70s is when the state started to contract with organizations such as ours to provide services, mainly because we can be a little bit more um, responsive and more cost effective in, in providing services to communities. So it was a very nice partnership where um, various departments would say we need this service for the community. Would, would nonprofits join us and, and do that? And so that was in the 70s. And over the time, what we've seen is um, the contract revenue has been very stagnant. And so it goes up every once in a while, but mostly it stays pretty, pretty steady. So in some instances, you might get the same amount of money for year after year after year, sometimes up to six, 10 years, and yet the costs continue to go up. And so, you know, we want to be able to give our staff increases for cost of living and other things and it's just becoming more and more critical 
And I think because of the rise of the inflation, because of the pandemic and all the other things in our economy, that's when we started coming together because we're like, oh boy, we're at a tipping point here and it's pretty dangerous. It's becoming more of an emergent issue. We've known this has been going on for a while, but with the cost rising so far, it's it's almost like our staff are getting a pay cut every year, not a pay increase because and, of the inflation. And we did see during the pandemic a lot of the demand just went up for some of these um, social services. And, um, you know, I, I did get a chance to talk to Lisa Mariama. She's the head of the Hawaii Alliance of Nonprofit Organizations. And she said something, you know, in, in framing what you folks were trying to do with this that really hit home. Um, here's Lisa. You know, so not keeping up with the cost of living, the cost of supplies, supply chain issues that make things, goods and services expensive, as well as, you know, minimum wage increases to the workforce and um, any kind of related compression that happens with the workforce where you're having to move all salaries up, as well as just our ability to stay competitive as a sector to attract good talent, you know, with competitive wages. So just with all of those costs going up, a large these these organizations are coming together to lend one voice to this issue this challenge and i think it's kind of a it's a dire situation at the moment if the safety net services are not robust because these are frontline services it really is kind of a life and death situation i think for a lot of communities across the state you know and uh, you know karen i know you had mentioned uh an example when we chatted uh, you know a couple of weeks ago about how you know when you have children who may need therapy and you need to hire another staffer that you, you don't have that ability and then those children have to wait for 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 services yeah and that's what I mean that really breaks my heart because when a when a child needs services especially therapy for something trauma traumatic that's happened to them the last thing we want is for them to be on a wait list month after month after month and that's what's happening now is that we just don't have the resources to hire the trained staff and mind you we're hiring master's level clinicians in some of these cases these are people who are highly skilled highly trained and they're there and we can hire them, but we just don't have the money to be able to do that to meet the need. And so Ryan, you know, talk about what you're seeing with your organization. Similar to what everyone's been mentioning, I mean, uh, you know, in terms of the what we're seeing on the ground with our with our the people that we serve, um, much of what you said, the, a lot of our families are struggling and they're struggling uh, more now. The, the issues are more acute. Like, so if someone came to us, um, you know, seeking shelter services from domestic violence or child welfare, it, they, they've become even more so pronounced with, you know, you add mental health issues on there, substance abuse issues on top of that, on top of the just basic, trying to find the basic needs that they, they have. Uh, the, the, it's just become a lot more complicated. So the work that we do, not not only is it um, that we're struggling to just get the work we, we do um, and we're contracted for, but it be, it's become more challenging. And you know when we we take a look at it, you know, Karen talks about this tipping point, and you know in the past we were able to sort of kind of deal with this issue, the rising cost of things by you know sort of leveraging our, our networks. You know, one we would fundraise, we, we asked the private sector to come in and help cover the gap where we were not uh, getting the full cost to do this work. Um, we would take on multiple contracts and try to spread cross you know costs across different contracts. Um, we partnered with you know our, our 
our fellow agencies like CFS and Epic Ohana, we would partner with them to find ways in which we can get this work collectively done better. But we're getting to that point where inflation has gotten so high that those those tools are no longer able to cover those gaps for us. And you know what we're looking at is really looking at a situation. You can almost look back over a decade ago in in the 2008-2009 recession. Um, there were a lot of cutbacks then, and I and I believe a lot of the issues that we're facing now, the things that you just talked about, are, are direct results of those cutbacks. Um, the mental health issues that we cut back on in terms of su- supporting the community, the homelessness issues we had now, we, we underinvested um, since that time, and we are seeing the effects now. And what we're saying now is that if we continue to underinvest, because what will happen is the levers that we can pull on to keep these services going, they're no longer there. And so what we're going to have to do, or what a lot of the, the sector is going to see, and that this partnership with everyone, we're going to see a cutback in services. And that's going to result in five, ten years from now in the same impacts that we're seeing now from, like I said, the recession back in 2008, 2009. Yeah. And then, you know, Lori, I know we were chatting earlier, and you said when the nonprofits were just, you know, calling each other up, you're just like, hey, how you doing? I mean, that that was a help. It was. It, it And I'm so ex- not excited but just enriched by the fact that we have been talking with one another and i think the other thing that i want to emphasize is is yes the the amount of our contracts needs to reflect the work and the the costs the true costs of our our work but there are other things about our relationship with the government our contracts are called purchase of service, and and that's an important piece. We do provide services that the government purchases and pays for in a, on a usually on a reimbursement basis. But when it works well, we're working as partners with the government, and like what Karen was saying about you know there's needs for uh, cer- certain kinds of services. Our contracts are not flexible in that way because it is a purchase of services and not necessarily a partnership. In other words, if our contract says we provide so many hours of therapy, Epic doesn't do therapy, but CFS does, and and that's all that contract says, then Karen doesn't have the ability to hire another uh, person to, to reach the, the huge needs, right? So how might we be better partners and have more of a partnership role. And, you know, Karen, I, I know that you had mentioned that uh, Governor Josh Green uh, indicated uh, to some of the groups that he was willing to consider maybe a 5% hike um, in some of those contracts. What, what can you share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, he definitely understands the mental health needs for our community and has responded with um, several, uh, I've heard him say several times that he's hoping to at least do a 5% increase for contracted services with community-based organizations such as ours. Um, And I'm hopeful for that, you know, but there's a lot of uh, complexities on how that money would en- eventually get to us and all the steps that it might take. And so um, it doesn't resolve the short term, but it is a good start. And I think, you know, it needs to be more over time in order to keep up and keep going because it's been stagnant for such a long time. But I think it's a good start. And this is the first time we've really kind of thought, oh, okay, maybe there's some reprieve, maybe community can be taken care of 
uh, on a longer term because we're we're wanting to do that. And so it's it's great that he's saying this. And Ryan, you know, what can you share with us? I mean, I know um, maybe some of this, the talk has been around the uh, uh, human services, uh, the you know, the nonprofits that, that help with, you know, those programs. But what about like the health department? I think it's um, it's when we think about sort of the the support for the community um, and the needs of the community, it, it, it's everybody. Um, all the departments um, of our state, um, you know, government is designed to ensure that all of us in Hawaii, everyone in Hawaii can thrive. And um, we're partners to that. Lori talked about that partnership and how important that it, a, a good partnership between government is. And so for us, it, it, it involves, you know, the human services, Department of Human Services, Department of Health, Department of Education, um, DLIR, the various departments of government that are working to support the people of Hawaii. So I think this it, this conversation is not just about a certain department or sector of, of our of our community. It's 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 about everything, and um, it really is because uh, we we do work in all those areas. And so what we're what we're really saying is like how can we continue to partner as best as possible to address these needs that you know. We, we don't pop up for like just because we want to. When I say us, uh, the nonprofit sector doesn't just exist because we think, oh, this is gonna be a great idea, and we we think this would be something we should do. But we we pop up because it, it's a direct result of the issues that are out there, the needs of the community. If the needs weren't there, you wouldn't see us around. But the needs are there. Our ecosystem has created a a, a structure where people. Um, have these needs and so we're there to support that and it's in, it's embedded sort of in our land in our indigenous values of Hawaii to that no one was going to be left behind and we want everyone to thrive so we're here because of that and it for us to work it it, it involves all the different sectors of government and all the different sectors of nonprofits even arts education medical um, to the social services to to make Hawaii that place where we can all thrive well, if you're just joining us, uh, this is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio, and our guests in our studio are Ryan Kusumoto, President and CEO of Parents and Children Together, uh, Lori Tochiki, Executive Director of Epic Ohana, and joining us by phone is Karen Tan, President and CEO of Child and Family Service. And, you, you know, Karen, uh, talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, these services are vital, you know, and... and you know whether it's it's something that happens overnight. Uh, you know, a domestic violence case. I mean, you, people need help right away. Yes, it, I mean that's so true. And you know, it's like my heart goes out to our community because this happens. It happens uh, throughout. And, and you know, I will get a phone call, and someone will say, "Oh, my family member is experiencing domestic violence. Can you guys help?" And I want to be able to say yes. You know, because that's what we do. And it's and you know it's what we're seeing is the increased calls increased need um, especially with the pressures on families in Hawaii today and so um, you know I think you know it would be just a horrible thing for us to have to start cutting back on services because then when people call we wouldn't have those available and yet the needs are growing so it's sort of I call it like a perfect storm right so it's like the the needs are rising up and yet we're strained to meet those needs and so there's this storm that's going on and uh, and it can get pretty scary. And Lori, can you talk about, I don't know, are there differences on the neighbor islands, you know, where the need is greatest? So we certainly do know that services for mental health, substance use disorder, 
um, domestic violence and, and for all the things that touch our children and our families, which is and mental health issues. The the neighbor islands are are really um, concerned about the lack of services, the lack of accessibility. If you have to drive for a couple of hours to get to a service. Um, if there's no bus or public transportation, I mean, it's just it's just a, a dire situation. If there there are some services where the only thing that can happen is for a family member to be flown to to Oahu to get the services, and then you don't have the the important healing place that Extended Ohana can have in 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 that role, right? So it's very difficult if you isolate someone who's in dire need of services. So yep. this is a very important piece. We we made some steps forward because of telehealth, right? And um, But that's not exactly the same. And then uh, Ryan, I don't know, uh, are you seeing uh, anything or any disparities uh, with uh, neighbor island programs, you know, with what you provide? <laughs> I think Lori hit it spot on. I mean, I think especially in our, our very rural communities, um, the, the challenges that they had prior to the pandemic um, are even more so now. Um, you know, the, the transportation issues, uh, the, um, the, you know, the ability to find um, jobs with livable wages, uh, you know, getting access to the health care or, or the mental health services they need are even more so. You know, we, we, we've seen, you know, like in every sector, um, the other part that's impacted us is we've seen like in every sector um, a lot of folks retiring um, who have been doing this work for a long time and so like Lori mentioned we you know to, to get folks the, the, the necessary resources they need they might have to fly elsewhere or we would have to fly people to the neighbor islands and mm-hmm. a lot of times for some of our services we have folks uh, take the ferry every morning to from Maui to go to Lanai to provide oh services gosh. there and you know, and that's a cost again for us, right? Um, to to make that happen. But you know, we know that the need is there, and so we have to make that work. So we, we're seeing those kinds of challenges. I mean, and I think that's you know across every sector right now. And uh, what about you, Karen? Uh, what's the neighbor island snapshot for your organization? Yeah, I mean, we're we're serving the whole the whole state, and I can think of you know, I know initially when we had some cuts we had to close down one of our programs uh, or our locations over on the big island which made uh, you know our participants have to drive or catch a ride upwards of two hours to get services Um, and that was really you know disappointing and we were really sad to do that because we know that we need to be community-based that's what we do that's what we do so well Um, we do go into people's homes as well um, and there's costs associated with that, paying our staff gas, and they're, they're driving their own cars to do that. Um, but we're definitely seeing the strain. And I think also I'm really concerned about the mental health for our youth right now and, you know, just the levels of anxiety, depression, suicide thoughts, and, and they're just really struggling. I think social media is putting a lot of pressure on them. And so we actually should be growing services for youth, not decreasing them because our youth are our future, and that's who we should really be focusing on and so you know as I think of neighbor islands I can just think of some of the stories I've heard from our staff where the youth are really struggling yes and you know we did have a guest on our show uh, a couple of months ago a, a mom who had just lost her daughter uh, to fentanyl 
and her you know they were waiting on a I think a psychiatric appointment and uh, you know somehow the daughter you know ordered uh, pills online and that those pills ended up being laced with fentanyl and and so you know your heart just breaks and, and she's focused on trying to strengthen the availability of mental health programs in our schools so that's become her mission uh, mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, we do hear so many stories. Uh, you know, we talked with the FBI uh, a couple weeks ago and they were saying, you know, a lot of the young boys are being targeted in game rooms and, you know, there's extortion scams going on. And, and um, some of our young people are, uh, you know, taking their lives because of the shame and the concern. And so you really need to provide services for those children who are in need, who desperately need it, and they and they need it now. Yeah, we, um, I mean, all the things you just mentioned, we, I just honestly think we, we can't be tone deaf to those symptoms that we're seeing in the community. They're indicative of um, sort of the larger sort of system in play that's, you know, creating some of these issues. And we, we need to, first of all, make sure we address those issues that come before us. So make sure that we have enough resources to, um, you know, adhere and, and, and make sure that we are here for folks when we need them. But then we also get to get upstream a little bit more and figure out ways that we can, you know, help adjust the system to provide more resources in advance so that we're not dealing with this on a regular basis. And I think that's what we're talking about here is the number one, it's like when you go into, um, you know, if someone is having a heart attack and they go into the emergency room, the doctor is going to try to address and stabilize that individual, right? They're going to come in and provide the medication, whatever they are. The next question she's going to ask the patient is, you know, what did you, what happened to get us there? Or what happened to get you there? What are you eating? Are you exercising? I mean, we, we have to get to that piece too. But but what we're talking about here too is, is we got to just be able to stabilize first. Like that's a big thing. Because if we don't stabilize, it's going to get worse. Yeah. And we're going to see more things. Up. Poor outcomes. Yeah. Well, we are talking about how local nonprofits are dealing with things like inflation and, you know, other related uh, financial impacts on their organizations. We'd like to know your experience. You can join our discussion by calling us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Uh, we will be right back after a short break. This week on Science Friday, the technology of spy balloons, what they can and cannot do, plus why you should care about the wonderful world of seaweed. Seaweeds do in the sea what trees do on land. If we didn't have seaweeds along our coastline, the coastline would die. Dive in with us on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Beginning this afternoon at 1. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. As of February 13, Hawaiian Telecom has discontinued carrying HPR along with all other local radio stations. You can listen to HPR on hawaiipublicradio.org, our free HPR mobile app, your smart speaker, or on the radio. 
please direct your comments to Hawaiian Telcom at with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. Our guests in studio are Ryan Kusumoto, President and CEO of Parents and Children Together, and Lori Tuchiki, Executive Director of Epic Ohana. And joining us by phone is Karen Tan, President and CEO of Child and Family Service. And, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the, the realities of operating a nonprofit here in Hawaii, you know, and, and it's tough. You know, uh, we're all having a hard time uh, dealing with this pandemic and dealing with the inflation and, and supply chain issues. Uh, and uh, it's rough. You know, we've all had to hold our hands, I think, right, to, to make sure that we're all kind of getting uh, through this together. You know, I, I did talk with Lisa Maruyama, the Hawaii Alliance of uh, Nonprofit Organizations. Uh, and, you know, we were having this discussion uh, earlier this week about the needs of uh our helpers are the, the, the many groups that are helping to keep us together during this tough time. And, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, vital services this morning, you know, the social services a- agencies, but uh, it includes many other nonprofits. Here's Lisa. I think nonprofits, community based organizations are at their wits' end at this point because they. They just cannot provide, certainly an increase in demand in services. They cannot meet those service demands with limited staffing and not getting their costs covered. So it really is a perfect storm at the moment. This is a severe problem in the health and human service sector where our sector is made up of about 60% health and human service organizations, and that typically is the composition across all states. But this issue does expand and extend to other missions like arts and culture and and education organizations, the INA-based stewards that contract with organizations like DLNR, right? So it is a known fact that a lot of these departments do not cover indirect costs. And so our true costs across all of these missions are not being met. And Karen, uh, jump in here, you know, because that's a big cross-section in our community. It is. I mean, if you think about it through a holistic view, it's like, you know, when you think of kids, it's like they need to have the sports activities, the arts activities, the, you know, the opportunity to be in theater, the opportunity to explore music and and the opportunity to heal from mental health and to be um, live growing up in a safe environment. And so it really does make that whole child. And there are a lot of organizations that do incredible work to give that holistic approach to to our Kiki. And, you know, I think I, I really appreciate Lisa's point there, which is, you know, um, some contracts don't cover indirect costs. And, and, you know, I think community needs to understand that in order to do the work, we have to still operate like a business. We have lights to turn on. We have you know, uh, payroll to pay. We need to have human resources. We, we, we can't, we can't do it without those indirect costs. And yet, we're often told, "No, you, you can't have that. You, you have to figure out how to cover those costs um, somehow, some way." And I think that's even making the strain even harder. 
on our nonprofit sector as a whole than on the sector in general, the you know normal businesses, because we also have had that constraint. So we're given only a finite amount of funds to cover all those costs. And mind you, we're, we're competing. I mean, I think Ryan and I were talking the other day and he hired a new executive assistant and and that's an important role because it keeps everything functioning in the organization and and yet you're competing with for-profit companies for that same person and so being able to find those people and pay them what the going rate is really hard when you're when you're capped at those indirect costs and then Ryan can you talk about you know how Oh gosh, you know the that five percent that the Governor Green talked about. I mean, you know when you're going to see that, or I mean, how does that all work? Well, I, well if it gets into the this year's budget and passes, um, we'll likely see it in the next fiscal year, and um, hopefully, if it, it happens, it'll it'll come through our contracts, and we'll be able to disperse that through. Um, uh, um, the work that we do, um, again, in some of the ways that we've talked about here, whether it be the staff salaries or covering the, the cost, the rising costs of everything else. Um, so it, it, it has to go through the legislature now for that to go. And, it, and it's a good start. I mean, it's, a, it's something that's needed. You know, as you guys know, the, the cost of inflation um, over the past year has been at highs we haven't seen in a long, long while. Um, and f- 5% is um, not quite keeping up with it, but it helps. And I think what we're asking for is just sort of to keep up with those costs over time as well so that we can continue to stay relevant to the needs of the community. So how do you do that? Do you build in language that talks about the uh, consumer price index? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I know of some places that will address it by, you know, sort of adding the CPI language into there. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be other ways to sort of mirror uh, compensation to um, uh, the, what may be uh, going up in the, the government sector as well. Um, and there's other sort of means to sort of address maybe like different types of procurement that we could um, look at to uh, make it more flexible, like as Lori mentioned, for us to um, address things when they go up. I mean, in other sectors it happens, right? I mean, you know, like some of the construction industry, they, they can't predict that, you know, supplies are gonna go up um, you know, overnight, and they do, and and, and they have change fees in there. And there's got to be, you know, we're not asking necessarily for those similar methods, but there's got to be an opportunity to have a conversation around that as as things go up, because it's hard to hold a five-year contract sometimes and not expect things to to change over that course of five years. And, Laurie, what's been your experience uh, with dealing with government uh, officials or, you know, agencies? Well, you know, I want to emphasize that in our sector, most of our organizations are extremely well run, and we've been very careful to keep within our budgets. And so how do you do that? Well, first of all, we're pretty well regulated. Most of us have to undergo multiple financial audits each year and and look at all of our ins and outs. The other thing that we do is we cut costs. So one part of true cost is, do you have an executive director who doesn't have an executive assistant? and who therefore works you know, many more hours? Um, or do you have a staff member who has to pull double shifts in order to keep um, you know, the, the services going? And those are costs not only to our bodies, um, but also um, kind of d- dilute or distort what the true costs are. I think the other thing I wanted to say is that it's, it is about increasing the 
the budgets of these contracts, but it's also some of the costs of doing business with the state have to do with maybe inefficiencies. So if a nonprofit organization has to wait two months, three months, four months for a payment on a contract, then what that means is that we have to scramble in our cash flow to maybe draw on a line of credit and um, pay the expenses of that line of credit. Um, so there are just some inefficiencies as well that I think maybe if we worked on together, it, it, would, it would really help us all to thrive. And then was your agency affected at all by that hiccup with the grants last year? My agency was not because we didn't apply for um, a grant and aid, and we have not applied for grants and aid. Uh, but those agencies that did uh, really had to adjust their plans for the year, their staffing, it, and then you can't just move on a dime, you know. So if you're waiting for staff, I mean, excuse me, you're waiting for funding, but you have the staff ready. Where are you paying that staff? How are you paying that staff? Yeah, I mean, when I've talked to some of the nonprofit folks that I know, they were like, oh, we're just waiting for the state to release the money, and, and, and we're really nervous, you know. But yeah. did you get affected by that? or? Yeah, and so, you know, I think nonprofits are, when, and then they're in that situation, you know, they're either finding other ways to fund that work, um, so they're reaching into the private sector, um, or some unfortunately have to lay off those staff or you know reduce those services in the community. And again, that has you know huge impacts. And, and I think that's what we're talking about is that what's that impact to the community when we have to make those types of decisions? And, and we don't want to be there. And, and we recognize that government has a it has a tough job as well. And and Lori's talked about that partnership and how critical that is. Um, and and. We've been working. We have really good partners on the government side, but we recognize that there's there's challenges there that they they face as well. And so we've been trying to work together with with our government partners to to you know deal with this these issues. And we recognize that the state only has so much money to give out. And I think that's what we're trying to talk about is how do we think about and prioritize these issues um, that really focus on people in this way. You know the the things that we're talking about that Karen mentioned that Lori mentioned about whether it be mental health, domestic violence. How do how do we how do we really focus on um, putting the funds in, in these areas? Because, what, again, what we're concerned about is years from now, and it, it may not even be years in, in the near future, that these issues are just going to exponentially grow. And then that's going to be more costly interventions for us to deal with as a state. And, Karen, you know, I don't know, uh, what are your thoughts about, you know, uh, what happened with the grants and aid funding? I mean, in a way, it kind of highlighted kind of how hand-to-mouth some of these organizations, you know, <laughs> live on, right? And when that money didn't come through, they were kind of in a panic. Yeah, I mean, the grant and aid is such a beautiful uh, opportunity for our organizations to directly get um, funds from the state. And um, and usually it's a smooth process, but this last year was more of a hiccup. And I think there are plenty of organizations that still have yet to receive those funds because of all of the just the paperwork and the requirements to get them to be released. And so I know that um, the governor did release them as a whole, but there's still a lot of funds that have yet to get out to the community. And that's, that's a challenge. I would like to say that, you know, as I'm thinking of the true cost effort and how we partner with uh, with our government and, and, you know, Hawaii is such a special place. And I always like to say we're like an incubator, right? We're, we're by ourselves in the middle of the Pacific and we can actually lead the way. And 
our our True Cost Coalition did some research, and there's other states um, that are struggling. A lot of other states are struggling with the exact same issue that we are. Um, and I would love to see us all come together and lead the way and show others by example that you can resolve this issue. Because I do believe that we have such a special place and people have such big hearts, but also very, very smart. And so I think you know, some of the things that we're dealing with, whether it be the grant and aid or getting the true cost to be covered for our community, for that safety net, um, we really can do it if we all just dig down deep and figure it out, and then we can lead the way. Well, you know, we're hearing uh, a lot of uh, a new funding uh, becoming available, right? The federal government says they want to start doing something to help uh, our farmers, right? The mental health of farmers. Uh, uh, you know, and sometimes you get somebody who, you know, a, a, a billionaire who's got a lot of money and they want to give back to the community. And you might be one of those organizations that uh, was fortunate enough to get a, a big fat check uh, just because you do the work that you do. And, and you got on somebody's radar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are some organizations who have been lucky in, in that regard. I want to add a thought about that because... I think that's the opportunity community-based organizations have because we are in the community. We're like the glue that's between the you know community and the and the government, and we can leverage um, funds from foundations and from our partners um, you know on the continent. And what's helpful is when we can partner with the government to bring in and leverage those funds and partner with the needs of the community. Um, and the the government services that are connected with it. Bringing those things together is not always um, seamless. And and I think that's part of that mindset shift that we need, that that this is an opportunity to partner and leverage and invest in our services. Yeah, and find ways to innovate if there are ways to do that. Um, gosh, I don't know. What else you, would you think would be interesting to underscore? I mean, I don't know what the feedback has been like as you've uh, uh, talked to, to lawmakers this session. You know, I think um, the other thing to underscore in all this is that um, the work that drives us, um, you know, I mentioned community, but the work that really drives us is the fact that we are um, we're, we're grounded in the lived experience of our of the people that we serve. Lori talks about community. Lori talks about being in communities. And for us, that means really being on the ground, talking with, with the folks that are being impacted by this. And the voices that we're raising up or the issues we're raising up is not because, again, we're not, we're not trying to say we need to survive as an organization. This is not about PACT being successful and, and um, making money and, and making a profit. That's, it's not about that. It's about these voices that we hear every day that are struggling to survive and thrive and I, I think one of the things that drives us and um, we're focused on is is really f- is really trying to lift forward that lived experience voice and so when we come to this table it, it, it's it's really not a it's really not an assault on any sort of structure but it's really about lifting up that voice to say that value of making sure that everyone here in Hawaii can thrive it's not going so well right now for for folks and we need to these issues that we've been facing, we, we've, these issues have been here for a while. These are not new issues, but they're getting significantly worse in some areas. So how can we all come together and sort of rethink this? And right now, what we're saying right now, it just in the near future is, we can't let it get worse, right? So we have to put a little bit more stops on what's happening right now, but we really wanna to get to that place where we can 
get ahead of it a little bit more. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you are responding to the people who are hurting in the community uh, for some of these, you know, social service programs. And now you folks are starting to feel some of that pain. Yeah, I would, um, you know, we, we, we talk a lot in our organizations about what we call vicarious trauma. And that's really that you experience a lot of what what those that you're working with have experienced just by listening to their stories and walking alongside them. Um, and a lot of our staff have had their own lived experiences and their own histories of, of trauma, whether it be, you know, abuse or, or loss of a loved one or, or whatever. And so it's like we have to take care of our staff. And so I can't reiterate enough just the importance of you know, understanding that true cost is really about paying our staff true cost so that they can do the work and care for community and not wake up the next morning on the weekend and have to go work another two, three jobs to make ends meet. And I hear this every day from the staff as I, as I walk the halls and I talk with them. They care so much, so they're willing to spend 40 hours or more of their life really helping families, helping children, listening to their trauma stories, listening to what they've experienced. And then they're not making enough, so now they have to go and work. And I know that this is common. I mean, a lot of people in Hawaii have to work more than one job. But when I know that our staff have experienced or are experiencing that vicarious trauma, it's really important from my perspective that they're not having to work a second job because they need time, downtime to heal. They need to be able to refresh so that they can show up the next time they're on shift and be there 100% for that family they're working with. Well, I know just watching the news last night, you know, the that poor young girl that was killed crossing uh, the crosswalk there by McKinley, you know, to, to hear her family and her sister and the trauma that they're going through and the trauma that we're experiencing as we as we watch this collectively as a community, uh, be, because you hurt. You think, could that have been prevented? You know, what else could we have done to help each other if somebody, you know, has a, has a call for help? Uh, and cries out for help, um, you know, how we would we respond to that. Um, gosh, I don't know. So uh, I don't know if there's anything that you would want to say to the lawmakers out there who might be listening, uh, you know, as they work through the, the, the budgets and the session this year. I don't know. Ryan, do you want to throw well, something out there? <laughs> uh, sure. I, w- I actually want to highlight something Karen said mm-hmm. earlier. And, you know, she, she mentioned how the work that we do is sort of, Across, it crosses a lot of borders in terms of not. It's not just social services, but it's like arts, right? It could be a child or or a soccer group. Uh, the the sector is here to support the community in ways that it needs. And the one point I want to make, it, I, I think that the work that we do, it's, it's we're not just. We often get tagged with, we're supporting those people who, who need it, or it, it's people who did didn't do well in their lives. I mean, and and that's a false narrative, and that's a bad narrative in my mind. Like, the things that Karen just highlighted, I mean, these are these are people that look like you. These are people that are in our communities, in our families. When What we see is we, you know, we don't, we don't have the ability to judge people. We see an auntie, we see an uncle, we see a mom, a dad, see a child, a student, and, and we're here to help them in, in whichever way they come to us. And someone you know has been touched by the work that we do in some ways. 
And um, again, what we're saying and what we're seeing from our experience is when we dial back on that, when we stop doing those services, it has huge impacts into our community. And we're seeing some of that now. And um, we're, we're asking for is like basically saying, we're raising the alarm, like we cannot stop these services from happening as long as the need is there. And we're saying the need is there. Well, and I think to the point that, you know, um, Lisa Moriyama raised about its, you know, it's uh, agencies that, uh, that support, let's say, the Department of Land and Natural Resources, whether it's conservation of, you know, uh, invasive, uh, of, of endangered species or, or, or putting the block on endangered species. It's tied to our economy. Uh, so whether it's the mental health of, of our community uh, or the support services that, that uh, are vital to the health of our economy, you know, those are things I think we have to consider. But I don't know, uh, any final thoughts that you might have, um, Lori? Well, I think, the, and I just really appreciate the the, the partnership um, it, that's grow, been growing in this coalition, because it's not always so. I think you know we're we've been scattered from one another. So, like the leadership of Hano, um, the the voices of the the community, and I think that with those voices, we can try to address the trauma. And get to the healing, and and so I, I, I appreciate that we are. What we're doing now is we're making a collective call for action, um, and it is about sustaining, and we're worried about the future. But I think we also see this wonderful opportunity for healing, a wonderful opportunity if we can see this kind of coalition grow, um, and coalesce. That that we can uh, have that thriving wonderful healing that we we want for our children and our families and karen i'll let you have the last word as we close up well, here. I, thank you and Catherine, thank you so much for allowing us to have this conversation it's been um really encouraging to be able to share our thoughts and you know the only thing i can add i suppose is that if someone's listening just think you know have you had a family member or an extended family member or a hanai family member who's received services from an organization in the community and how much that has meant to you and your and your family and and what it would have been like if we weren't around to do that work and if there's that impact and it was positive and you felt that support to reach out to your legislatures and say please support true costs for these contracts so that these types of services can continue that's our call that's our that's our hope that we get those true costs covered um and then we can continue to meet those community needs that we're seeing um you know as we move forward an organization like ours we're 123 years old that's how long we've been in the islands meeting communities needs and my hope is that as long as there's needs that we will continue to be here meeting those needs going forward and so that's that's my kind of my call to action is just really you know, ask yourself if you if you've had someone or known someone who's gotten help, then and it's been good. Then reach out and and get get that request out there because I think that it helps. It's one thing for us to ask; it's something else when the community starts to say, "Hey, this is important." Okay, so that's how we can help you. Yes. 
through that support. Well, you know, uh, uh, I think I appreciate the views that you folks have, that you see that we could go over a cliff here, and you don't want to go over the cliff, and uh, there's time to, to, you know, to make that left turn if we can get the support across the state uh, to help with these needs. But but thank you all for, for being here today. Uh, our guests in our studio, Ryan Kusumoto, Lori Tuchiki, and Karen Tan uh, joining us by phone. Uh, we appreciate you uh, coming together on this important topic. And we'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. If you have a comment to share uh, or if you want to uh, give a Hanaho and a shout out to, to a nonprofit that's helped you, please call our talkback line and record something 808 792 8217. Lillian Song, Russell Subiano, and Stephanie Hahn help to get the show on every day. A conversation podcast can be found on Apple, Spotify, or online at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. We are taking a break for President's Day on Monday. We'll, we'll be back on Tuesday for more of the conversation.